The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello, everybody. Hope everybody had a good time on wreck and hanging out and had a good time to strategize with your teams or just uh, just think through the messages thus far. So, uh, man, we're excited to have our panel discussion. I'm going to go ahead and start so that we can uh, so that we can end on time. Uh, our goal is to end at 4:30, no matter what, so that we have a, a half hour break before the last uh, wrap up session. Um, so. You've already been introduced to, uh, to Ricky uh, and to Jason, and so uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Joseph Tucker here on the end. Uh, Joseph is a youth minister at Center Grove Baptist, and he's been there for eight years. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, next to him is Steve Brooks, and he is a youth pastor at, uh, at Hillside UMC uh, down in Town Lake, Georgia, and he's been there for 22 years. Uh, so that is a... That's a long stint in youth ministry at the same church. That's a, that is a feat. And so um, <clears throat> I, I was just asking them right before they came up, just kind of to tell me how long they've been in youth ministry overall. And uh, the overall experience in youth ministry, if you add each guy's uh, ministry experience up, is 103 years uh, for all these guys combined. So that lends to a lot of uh, wisdom, uh, a lot of mistakes made uh, uh, over 103 years, and so uh, so hopefully we can learn from all those. So what we did is we took the questions that you guys asked, and uh, a lot of them had common themes, and so some of those questions we'll ask outright, and some of those we've compiled into a kind of a differently reworded question based on um, based on similar themed uh, questions that were asked. And so what we've got is two questions for each of these guys, and then they'll have a chance to, uh, to kind of tag in on each other's answers, but uh, so we'll just go down the line and, and ask the questions that you guys asked uh, to them. So uh, we're going to start. Our first question uh, goes to Joseph. And the question, and we've gotten several questions along the line of, of discipling students outside of the teaching time, outside of the main preaching time. And so the question goes, how do you approach discipling students outside of teaching and programming? Well, that's a really, really easy answer. Um, you just invite them to Snowbird, you know. So any opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, but but honestly, that's that's one of the ways to to do that um, outside of the walls of the of the church. Is um, I mean, we we bring our our kids anytime we can, whether it's fall swow, winter swow, summer camp, um, because you're creating opportunities for them um, that are uh, social gathering. So the the true, I feel, I feel like true student ministry happens like you know, on the bus or on the van or, um, and when you have, when you have those raw conversations, when you're traveling with people, um, when you're building those relationships and the, and the relational connection happens outside of the small group setting, um, outside of, of, of the, the preaching, uh, setting. But, um, one thing, as I was thinking about this, one of the things that, uh, that our church has done over the years is, is we, we have this thing called an I3 strategy. Um, and just like any good Baptist, you know, solid alliteration. And so um, it's in, invest, intercede, invite. 
Um, and, and that is really an evangelistic strategy. But as I was thinking about it, it's a discipleship strategy as well. Because we in, intentionally do that. We want to intentionally invest into people's lives. So we intentionally invest in the students' lives. Uh, we're intentionally building relationships with them, getting to know them. Um, it's amazing when you, when you remember a kid's name. And I'm terrible with names. Um, I can remember your face all day long, but I'm really bad with names. But when you remember a kid's name, they're like, oh, you remember my name. You know, if you remember something about them, then that's, that's a whole other level, whether it's their favorite candy bar or, or whatever. Um, and so uh, you, you spending time um, on their turf is huge. Um, so you, you showing up at a, at a ball game, you, uh, you going to a recital, you know, n- no matter how boring these things might be, like you spending time there, even if you can't stay for the, the, the long haul, like you, you take a picture and then text it to them later. Or I've been, to, I've been to middle school basketball games before, and the parents, like, years later will be like, I can't tell you how much, like, it meant for us to see you at that game, you know, to support Alex or whatever. Like, that's awesome. So, it, like, intentionally investing in them, intentionally interceding for them, um, letting them know that you are praying for them. Um, because how many people, honestly, if they don't have godly parents, are actually praying for them? Um, and, and letting them know that, but also doing it for them right there. Saying, like, how can I pray for you? Um, and them answering the question, getting further down than, you know, my dog's sick or, or whatever. But, like, how can I really pray for you? What's going on with you? Um, one thing that I encourage our leaders to do is uh, a solid acronym is ESPN. Um, when you're engaging with a student, E is for encourage them. They don't get a lot of encouragement, right? Share scripture with them is the S. We want to share truth with them always when we in, um, engage with them. Um, and then the P is pray for them, so we're interceding for them. Uh, right then, right there, do that. Uh, and then provide them with a next step. Um, so ESPN, encourage them, share scripture with them, pray with them, and then provide them with a next step. Um, and then the last one is invite. And so um, invite them into relationship. Um, one thing that we found that is solid is inviting them into our home. Um, so one thing that we've done really practically speaking outside of the, the teaching programming is we have this thing called Breakfast at Tucker's. And, uh, and they just, we invite students to come to our house on Friday morning um, for breakfast and uh, before school. And, and, and the whole purpose of that is just to uh, provide them with a, a nice meal, but to pray with them before they go to school. Um, and that, that provides an opportunity for us to connect with them in the home, to be in a healthy environment. A lot of those students don't come from a healthy environment. Um, and so um, spending time on their turf outside of the four walls of the church, knowing that, like, the old adage of they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care, like, they, that's really true. Um, and so I, I did ask one last thing. I asked our, uh, our cur- we graduated probably the most solid students we have ever graduated this past summer. Um, and I asked those leaders, what did you do that made that class so strong over the past two years for discipling them? And they said this. They said, um, we were heavy on truth and exceptionally high on love. We invested um, in them with time and money. Uh, we knew them, what they liked, what they didn't like, what their favorite coffee was, their favorite snack. We gave them a place to belong that was safe. We were prayerful, intentional, truthful, uh, trustworthy, interested in their lives. We were relevant. We, uh, we held them accountable, and we, we let them know that we were not done with them when they made a mistake and when they messed up. And so we showed them, we, showed them a, we spoke truth, but we showed them a lot of grace. So I know that's a lot, but that's a, as succinct as I could be. That's great. Um, 
So uh, the next question is for Steve. And, and so setting up this question, how many of you guys been in youth ministry less than five years? All right, that, that is the majority. Uh, how many of y'all been in less than three years? Less than a year. Okay, great. So this question is, what, what wisdom or what encouragement or caution or otherwise would you give to those who are first-timers to youth ministry or to those who are about to be first-timers uh, to student ministry? Well, uh, number one thing we say is, obviously, uh, God doesn't necessarily call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I love that. But it's, it's so true when, he's, when you're calling, like has been talked about this weekend, he will equip you to provide what he's calling you into. And many times it's with fear and trepidation. It's, it's one way you know you're, you're ready to work with students or to be in ministry when you don't feel worthy or good enough to do it. Like, because if you do, then you're going to step in with pride. So there's a point where, okay, I need you, God. And if you don't come through, this is not going to work. So that's a, that's a positive thing. Um, but, but the biggest thing is when we tell our, our leaders stepping in or even myself, I had to tell, I was told, love God and love others, love students. Students simply want to know, do you really love the Lord and do you care about me? Or are you just making a paycheck, whatever, however it is, or if you're doing this for whatever reason, but uh, like it was said earlier, students can smell authenticity or inauthenticity. Um, and the point is, do you really love God? And are you spending time with God? So that's the number one thing. That's where we always start with leaders, everything. Do you, are you developing a relationship with Jesus? Do you really know him? And are you, are you serving him? And then do you care about them? And so when you're stepping in, there's, there, that needs to be just, hey, do you love God? Yes. Do you love the students? Yes. If, if either of those are no, don't be in ministry. But if those, both of those, then God's like, okay, I got plenty to work with here. Now, the big part is um, when you step in, authenticity is huge. We can't step in to a ministry or leadership if we need something from them. See, that's the big red flag. That's, that's the red flag. When I stepped in, I was a, a volunteer when I first got started in youth ministry. Uh, and I remember stepping in, and, and I needed affirmation. And all of a sudden, you know, I was in youth group off and on when I was in high school, but I stepped into uh, being one of the leaders at 23 years old. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is cool. I am now the center of attention. I am now getting what I didn't get when I was in high school, right? Like, I'm now, they're coming to me like, oh my gosh, and it was feeding my need to be needed. And that was a huge red flag. So, um, if, if you're stepping in and you need that affirmation or you need to be their buddy, we're not in youth ministry to be buddies. The students don't need another buddy. They have plenty of buddies. They're looking for adults who, who like to be around students. That's what charges their batteries. Like, why would this adult? So I even correct people. They, they, they say, oh, Steve, you're just a big kid. And I always, because I, I like to have fun. I like to scare people in the bathroom. When they scream through the crack in the door, it's, it's like you're in the room with them. It freaks them out. It's like a passion of mine. Right, Lizanne? She, yeah. And it also helps them go to the bathroom better. So then you can say, you're welcome. You're welcome. But, um, but th then people say, oh, you're just a big kid. And I will always correct them. And I'll say, no, I'm an adult that enjoys having fun and likes being with students. Uh, that, that's a big difference. And if you are a big kid, they don't want a big kid. They want an adult who has maturity 
that loves the Lord and cares about them because that means a whole lot more. Because if you need to be needed and you need to be affirmed and you need them to like you, you're losing because you're going you're gonna to cower. You're going to bend to what will please them or appease them, and they don't want that. And over time, they will disrespect you, and they'll say they're not authentic and they're not, there's not a maturity. They need to see somebody with maturity that can call hard shots that we are not dependent on them liking us and um, getting our identity from being a youth minister or being even a good one. Or it's, it's like, no, we're faithful to the Lord. We're spending time with him, and we're getting our affirmation from him so that we can go serve them. And so let that be red flags for you, or if you have any leaders in your ministry, point this out. Don't You can read through that. And uh, one thing that I have, I, I, I made a couple of copies, which and afterwards I'll lay it over there, and you can take a picture of it. It's the front and the back. But this is big in youth ministry, and this is not for just new youth ministers or working with students. It's, it's for us up now. Um, because there's even, it's a point, are we coming from an orphan spirit where, you know, where we're trying to perform and get our needs met because we're not getting our needs met, so we're trying to perform and be good enough? Or are we coming from uh, being an adopted child of God? You know, what this whole summer was about, the, the Father heart of, God, heart of God, and realizing he loves me and I matter to him. I, I'm going to serve him and I'm going to get my needs met from him. Then we're free to love the students in a way that they respect and they care. And yeah, they may not like it, but over time they'll respect it and the church will respect um, you for who you are. So um, this is just something to walk through an orphan type spirit coming from a spirit of performance. You can look through the whole list and say, okay, am I this way, this way? And then a child of God responds in these ways. That's just, that helps with maturity and helps. It's a good scale of looking at okay, is, is, am I doing this right? And is it what needs to be done? And it's okay not to know the answers to questions in the Bible. Like literally just say, I don't, and be honest. If you're honest and authentic, they respect that. In fact, I have no, that is a really good question. Don't come out with an answer because you feel like you should. Again, that's performance driven. Oh, I got to have the right, I got to, no. Say, you know what? I don't know. Let's look in the Bible. Let's see what it, and then you can even work with them. It's another way of ministry outside. It's like, let's look at this together, or let's both look it up and then come back and deal with this. Great. Uh, so uh, next question is for Ricky. Uh, and so w- one of the things that we, um, that we always are excited about with Iron on Iron is the opportunity for you to meet other men and women in youth ministry that are doing what you do and to be able to kind of network with these guys I think too often there is a sense of competition between youth groups in uh, in your particular county or your town, and so uh, the question to Ricky is: Why is it valuable that I build partnerships and fellowships with other student pastors and student ministries, and then how do I do it? It's a great question, one that I'm passionate about, and I think it really connects well with what uh, Steve just said. Um, To bridge his statement with what I want to say, I would recommend a book to you. Chris Trent, who is the student pastor at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, wrote a book called Consider This, A Student Minister's Guide to Longevity. And uh, for those of you that are just kind of starting out in your first few years of it, there are some foundational principles that if you can get it right on the front end, can equip you for the long haul. Because we need more student ministry uh, that expresses longevity and a commitment over time. So uh, to connect with that, I think 
the orphan spirit thing that you just said, I think is beautiful. Uh, I think it connects to this idea of networking or building relationships and partnerships with others. First of all, let's look at why. Uh, biblical principle, there's m many references that we can use. I would point you to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Um, you know, how, bet, how much better is it if we have someone, and it ends verse 12, that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so there is, we know this, culture knows this, corporate America knows this, networking is common even in corporate world. It should be embraced and even celebrated in our community of faith. Um, so it's just better to work together. It's the way God designed the body of Christ to work. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We can't, we can't escape the power of team and the body of Christ really expressing itself. And I would say in your local community, typically it is student ministry that exhibits the beauty of this the best. It's usually in most communities, it's the youth pastors that are quick to cross over denominational lines. It's the youth pastors that tend to be more prone to work together. And so you're in a position to not just model in your ministry, but for the benefit of your whole city to see the body of Christ cooperating together, networking is huge. So I would say that's why it's important. What we tend to do in this orphan spirit, maybe it's pride, ego, insecurity, whatever may motivate us to be a Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger was a great Western TV show in the 50s. But in ministry, I call being a lone rager being an idiot. Get over yourself, okay? You cannot do it alone. You're better together. So how, does, how can you do this? Well, I'll, I'll give you four things. One, initiate. Be proactive. What does Proverbs 18.24 tell us? That a man that has friends must show himself friendly. If you're new to a church, you're new to ministry, you're new to a community, don't sit around and wait on somebody to call you. You be proactive and you initiate that contact. Hey, I want to go to lunch. I want to go grab coffee. I want to talk more. I want to learn more about your ministry. So you initiate that contact. And uh, if you may, in that initiation, you may find that there's an existing network or you may find the opportunity to start one. Either way, that's a win-win. So be proactive. And then secondly, seek it out. Um, I think uh, here's the difference. All those two, they could sound synonymous. I'm initiating contact, but I'm seeking it out like that jewel to be discovered. And I'm going to keep initiating contact until I find it or until I create it. And recognize you may need help to do this. I would say this is where your denominational support is tremendously beneficial. Uh, if you are part of the Baptist denomination, Call your local associational missionary or call your state uh, convention missionary and say, hey, help me connect to others. Uh, or if you're a Methodist, call your district or call your conference. Call somebody who may have connections to help you make those connections. That's the second. Third one is this. Um, engage early. Here's what I mean by this. Most of the time, we equate networking with, I need people to show up to my event so my numbers look better. Don't plan an event, produce all the flyers, and then show up at the table and say, hey, why don't you come to my event? Engage early and actually collaborate with people. Hey, I got this idea. How could we do this together? Get ownership and collaboration on the front end. Engage others. Then you get buy-in. Then you truly see teamwork. Then you truly see networking happen. And the fourth thing, and I'm out of time, uh, follow through with relationships. 
So if you hear of uh, maybe another youth pastor in your community, maybe they had a baby, they've gone through a tragedy, they're in a dispute and conflict in their church, follow through. Uh, text, phone call, email. I, in fact, I would just uh, recommend make it part of your daily, if not daily, at least weekly practice to proactively connect with other youth pastors in your area. How's it going? What's going on? When can we get together? Um, be purposeful with it, and you will watch a community flourish and grow and be amazed at how uh, the benefits start to flow out of that. That's good. That's a, it's a situation that's rare, but it's a win-win for everybody. Everybody wins in that scenario where you're networking together. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think that's huge. One practical way that we do that um, and cross denominational lines is we do a youth ministry roundtable like two or three times a year, and like 20 different people from different churches come together. Um, and it's for not, a, not for an event. It's just people who are in student ministry. And the main purpose is to get together and to pray for each other. Um, because you're in the trenches with each other. So you're praying for each other, but then we do it at different locations. So you get to see, and you're sharing resources, you're sharing ideas, um, and you're seeing what works, what doesn't work. And, and so that's really, really helpful. That's good. Okay, our fourth question is, uh, is, is about our culture, and, and it says, how do you equip your students to remain faithful in a culture that's increasingly more and more hostile to Christianity? And this question's for Jason. Great question, and I think it's one that we're thinking about more and more often these days because of the changing climate that we see in the culture around us. I would say, however, it's important that we distinguish this. You all have those folks in your church that say, like, to your kids or if they find out you're a youth pastor, oh, I couldn't imagine raising a kid in today's world right? Oh, it's only, I would never want to bring a kid into a world like this. And I'm thinking, really? So when the book of Romans was written and read to that church, the families had to hold their kids' hands and walk past Colosseums where Uncle Tommy, probably wasn't named Tommy, uh, but was, was killed by lions. And they had to walk by and cover their eyes from temple prostitutes and things like that. And so we're not the first culture to, to face these kinds of challenges. So I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from Scripture to be equipped to do so. Uh, I would say three brief things. Number one, uh, equip them apologetically, but also convictionally. I think sometimes we err on one side or the other. There's a big movement now to uh, equip students apologetically, which I think is great. Uh, give them a, a reason for the hope that is within them, right, that they can give an answer. Also, many of our college students and young adults that are uh, criticizing the faith that they grew up in or saying because no one was willing to answer their questions. So I think getting to an apologetics study is very valuable, but if all you do is learn apologetically that you're missing the other side of the coin, and that is equipping them convictionally, meaning what I was talking about earlier, aim for the heart. Give them opportunities to practice what it is that they're doing. We have a, a dangerous disposition in church today where we just heap knowledge on top of knowledge, and all we're doing is making smarter sinners. And instead, I think we need to be making uh, opportunities for them to do what James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. So equip apologetically, convictionally. Number two, help them connect with the church. Pretty simple. But what I mean by that is not just connect with the church. Connect with the church instead of just the student ministry. If someone were to ask a teenager in your group, 
where, where do you belong to? Where do you go? If they name the student ministry, not the church, you've got a problem on your hands because they need a community of believers, intergenerational, to help them. That same community will drive them either to endure, to remain faithful, or to back away from the faith altogether. I see this all the time. And in college students going into that freshman year, the stereotypical like Christian movies and songs and the stories that people tell is always about that one atheistic professor that just comes in and wrecks the faith of like thousands of teenagers and all that stuff. That may happen to a few, but most of the teenagers that I've known that have walked away from the faith is because they got involved with a group of friends that started doing things that they wanted to do, and then they had to change their theology and their conviction to, mas- to match their actions. So if we're going to curb that, it means that we need to connect them with a, a larger community that's going to help them to stand strong. Last thing is this. Expose them to challenges and tough questions ahead of time. Ask the questions ahead of time. Bring up the scenarios ahead of time. If a teenager in your group asks a question, they are ready for an answer. If you put them off and don't give them an answer, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Google it, right? They can find that answer a million other ways. They don't have to have an adult or a leader or a wise person. So you give them an answer. It doesn't mean you have to give them every detailed answer, but you give them an answer. But give them guidance and support and expose them to some of those ideas earlier so that you can shepherd them through processing those ideas and those challenges. And then the last thing I would say is while doing that, Set them alongside a mentor to help them engage the culture and all of this hostility so that they can do it in a way that's biblically sound, but is also kind and loving. Because that's something that's hard to pick up from a book or a discipleship study. But people that, that meet those needs and those challenges and stand firm in their faith and remain faithful, the ones that are best to emulate are the ones that do so with kindness and love and compass- compassion and conviction. So when they have those relationships in the church, I think it'll help them go uh, to that next step. That's good. Uh, next question is for Rob. Uh, and we, we see this we see this question, this request for breakout session, uh, e- even this description on students' medical forms coming up over and over. Uh, and it's a, it's a question of dealing with anxiety and depression. And this is something that if you're in youth ministry, you're dealing with this on a student level a lot. Um, but this question is phrased a bit differently, and it's how do you deal with depression and anxiety in ministry, and what are some ways to tackle these struggles? And that question is for Rob. Yeah, so I'd say, one, you know, whoever wrote that in, you know, I think it's encouraging that you've identified it, right? Because I think the first point I would want to say to a room full of people is to be honest with yourself. Um, Because I think a a lot of folks struggle with it and and battle it, but they are in denial about calling it what it is. You know, I think especially, especially guys, I think guys have a hard time admitting a weakness and it, it's easier to say, I'm just stressed out because then you're, you're pointing to, I'm just carrying such a heavy burden that that's wearing on me rather than saying, man, I'm depressed, you know, or, or I'm anxious. Um, and so being honest about it, I think is a really good, um, step and, and recognizing and, and, and then knowing that, man, we're not alone in this. We are not alone in that struggle. Um, the reality is scripture is not silent on it, and church history is, is full of people that we would say are like heroes in the faith that dealt with this and talked about it, and they called it different things at different times, 
Um, my favorite is when they called it melancholy, because that just sounds funny rather than depression. But um, so yeah, being honest about it, knowing you're not alone. I think I do think a lot of the Psalms were written from a perspective of somebody who's spiritually depressed, and they're using language to articulate how they feel, but they're being super real and raw with God on it. And what you see is from that place of uh, spiritual depression is that they cry out to God, even when it doesn't feel like God is close. Even, even when to their, their senses, their emotions, man, it doesn't feel like God loves them, doesn't, you know, Psalm 88, you know, the, the, the psalm writer literally says, I'm cut off from you. Do, do you work wonders for those who are in the grave? He's saying, man, I feel spiritually dead. He talks about feeling like he's in a pit. And, and so to be honest with yourself and with God, and to be raw and real with those, those feelings, those thoughts. Um, and then uh, I think to recognize potential causes is helpful to, to when you're, you're evaluating, you're saying, okay, like, are this, this isn't just normal sadness. This has been prolonged depression, you know, and so, okay, we're, I think it's helpful to recognize maybe what, what started it. I don't necessarily think it's helpful to, like, stay there and, and, like, soak in what caused it. But I think it can be helpful to know, okay, yeah, this is probably where this is coming from because maybe it's something that's been left unresolved that you can deal with and maybe even over a conversation. Um, but, but, but that can be helpful. And then I think it's helpful to identify triggers. Uh, so when you're honest with yourself about having these issues, then you can begin to examine your life on, okay, what maybe brings this on? What, what maybe causes this? Because if it's something that is non-essential to my life, man, yeah, cut that out, right? Like the, the weight that Hebrews talks about, things that would entangle us that maybe aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves. But yeah, I can remove that from my life because it's not necessary. Like, you know, silly things for me that I, I recognize, man, there, there's types of music, there's types of movies that I don't watch because it feeds depression in my mind right? So I just don't go there. Um, so recognizing triggers and avoiding them if possible. But I think all that ultimately, man, and I'm going to try to be quick. I'll say this. We, we did a breakout on this this past summer, dealing with depression, anxiety. I encourage you to go listen to that. And I'll, I'll reference some other tools here in a minute. Uh, but ultimately having your identity in Christ versus having your identity as a student pastor or a pastor, or your identity as a husband, father, wife, mother. Um, and that's easier said than done. Because I think if, if I asked, you know, where should we have our identity? Everybody in the room would say, in Jesus. But that takes work. That takes work because our flesh doesn't naturally go there. And, it, and it's easier to find superficial joy and peace and security and hope and things that are more tangible at times than to do the work of surrendering myself and bringing my thoughts into submission to Scripture where I'm truly believing what the, the Bible says to be true about me rather than the, the thoughts that I wake up with that attack me, rather than the thoughts that, that speak to me nonstop through the day about uh, my failures or my shortcomings. Right, uh, Martin, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his book, Spiritual Depression, he said, you got to quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. You know, 
like a crazy person. But we all do it, just a crazy person does it out loud. So inside here, quit listening to yourself. And if you're crazy, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a different, I think Joseph has that question. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, just to be honest, I struggle with this and to wake up with accusing thoughts. And it's me. It's me talking to me. And I wake up with thoughts like, uh, I hate you. And you're failing. You're a bad father. You're a bad husband. You're a bad preacher. And those types of thoughts assault me. And I can lay there and passively take it, or I can stand up, metaphorically in my mind, and say, no, this is true. And for me, man, my, my primary weapon that I draw in that fight is Ephesians chapter 1. And I, and I preach to myself the truth about what God says about me. And I, and I confront those lies with the truth of the gospel. And so that takes work. That takes saturating our mind with Scripture, truly seeking to find our identity in Christ. Um, and uh, I'm, o- I'm only a minute and a half over, so I'm almost done. Uh, you got to deal with your whole person, right? Like, there's more to you than just mind. There's more than just emotion, than soul, than body, than spirit. Like, no one person that is an expert in any one of those areas or disciplines understands the complexity that is you, right? The way that you are woven together as a human being. Only God understands that. And I think sometimes, man, we're too simplistic and people in their field of expertise are, if you'll forgive me, maybe a little arrogant to only identify one area and only deal with that area. So I think sometimes it's really arrogant of a, of a doctor who would hear what's going on and say, well, then you just need this pill, right? And that pill can easily become a functional savior and have its own whole world of repercussions. But I equally think it's dangerous and potentially very arrogant for a pastor to say, well, you just need to pray more. You just need to read the Bible more. You don't need that medication. And that's equally dangerous because, yeah, that medication very well might help you to help get your head out of the cloud long enough to be able to understand what Scripture is even saying. And, and that's important. And so it, it's important to get help from people in these different areas to help understand it and deal with the whole person. A lot of times, um, man, we can do a lot for ourselves by taking care of our whole person. And I don't mean getting like a, uh, what do they call it when a man gets a pedicure? Mani-pedi. That's what I'm not, I'm not talking about that. No, no. I've never gotten one of those. I, I saw Spencer nod when I first said it, so. That's, that's getting your fingernails and your toenails done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Manicure, pedicure. Yeah. So that may, that may be part of it. You got last week. Yeah, I, and, and I'm feeling good about myself. Um, treat yourself. Um, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about, like, you are a whole person, and so this hurts, this hurts. I, I don't like this part, but, like, it matters how you treat yourself physically, what you eat, how you rest, how you exercise. All that ties in. We can't just focus on the spiritual and let everything else go and think, yeah, I'm going to have a right mindset. I'm going to feel right. I'm going to act right. I'm going to live right. Like, man, we, we, there is profit. There's value in recognizing I got I to take care of this whole thing that the Lord has given me called a life. So I went too long. Um, so some resources, uh, Edward Welch, depression, looking up from the stubborn dark darkness. That's helpful. John Piper's sermon, spiritual depression in the Psalms. Very helpful. Man, talk to somebody. 
If you're a youth pastor and you don't, man, there's no one in your church that you would trust with that personal information, first, I'm sorry. Man, come talk to us. We'd love to have that relationship with you. Find somebody that you trust that you, you don't have to have deep, like, I'm depressed again. Will you listen to me talk about how sad I am? That's not always helpful. But if you can say, hey, man, I'm struggling right now, and you have somebody that you trust and love that can just speak truth to you and know what you're going through, that, that goes a long way. All right, I'm done. So uh, with these topics, they're so complex. You know, one, one could write books, and, and people have written books on these topics. And so these are meant to be conversation starters, not conversation enders. And so with an issue as complex as depression or, or any of these things, man, let this be a conversation starter between you and your team. Let this be a place where you begin to get the resources uh, to, to work through some of, these, uh, some of these more complex issues and questions. Um, Next question is for Joseph. How can I help parents? <laughs> you guys like this one. How can I help parents see their responsibility to disciple their own kids? What about the kids of non-believers as well? Uh, we always struggle with, you know, people believe it's the youth pastor's job to do the discipling of this whole kid. So how do I help believing parents to see their responsibility to disciple their own kids? And then what do, what do even I do with a, a kid who has non-believing parents? Um, I heard a great message about that this morning. Um, so, uh, no, but Jason killed it um, this morning. And uh, I would say, honestly, like we, we are fighting a, a culture where, um, and I grew up in, in this, and where parents come, they bring their kids, they drop their kids off, and they say, hey, y'all work for the church, y'all are professionals, disciple my kid, and then we'll pick them up. Because um, that's your job, you know, and, and so um, we're fighting against that. Um, because they, they do have professionals that they go to for every other thing, um, whether it's their, their travel ball team, whether it's their, their AP teachers or, um, or whatever it is. And so um, I think that uh, we have to remind the parents that no one is, um, is better equipped to disciple your students than you are. Like God has put those students in your family and no one's better equipped to disciple them than you are, mom and dad. Um, and, and so reminding them that they've been given a biblical mandate, and the big one is out of Deuteronomy 6. Like, just continually remind them of that. Um, and Psalm 78 and Ephesians 6, um, and when Paul talks about, like, like, raise them up, discipline them, and, and raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Um, and so one of the things that, when it comes to, to students who don't have um, mom and dad who love the Lord, what we're trying to, to change the culture in our student ministry is to say we, we want to, as a student ministry, equip parents to, be, to disciple their students and to disciple students whose parents won't because we know that there are always going to be those students in, in the ministry, right? But we want to equip those primarily those parents who are there because that's going to go a long way. And if we invest our time in doing that, it's going to go a whole lot longer than if we're just spending time with those students. Um, because that analogy that Jason used with the track, um, you've probably heard it before. Um, like we get one or two hours a week with them, and there's like 164, 168 hours in a week. Like we're not going to be able to disciple them in, a, in one or two hours. right? The, it's, that's the role of the family, like the, of the parents. And so the church was never, re, never meant to replace the, the family, but to enhance it. Uh, and so 
one of the things that um, that we have done practically is once a quarter we, we do this thing called parent equip night, and so uh, we know it's everybody's schedules are crazy, everybody's busy. You know, it's, it's difficult to add. You know, you got you know the PTA call in and the school call in and and you know sports practice, extracurricular activities, all this different stuff, and so. Adding one more thing to the schedule, that's, that's nuts. You know, nobody's going to attend that. Okay, well, what can we do? Let's think about that. And so we were like, let's do parent equip nights like simultaneously while students are meeting. Like if parents are already coming to the church to drop their kids off, why don't we provide something for them as well? Because sometimes we heard that they were just sitting in the parking lot reading a book. You know, it's like, let's equip them, you know, or, or maybe they're going on a date night. That's great too, right? But um, so... Um, once a quarter, Wednesday nights, we will just have a parent equip night, and we choose different topics um, that we cover. And so, for example, um, in the past few years, we've done uh, parenting in a pornographic culture, uh, praying the Bible for your teens. Um, we've covered uh, family worship, how to lead um, spiritually in your home, um, we've, uh, how, to, how to come alongside teenagers and understand their culture and love them with the gospel, um, and Christ-centered parenting, and uh, and and. And so we've done a ton of research, and every time we do one of these things, we provide, we have a table set up or two where we provide resources for them. But one of the things we do is we remind them every single time, I mean, I'm 32 years old. I've got toddlers. I don't have teenagers, right? So it's like, who, who are you to talk about how to raise teenagers? And we, we remind them, I'm not trying to teach you how to raise your teenagers. I am trying to come alongside of you and equip you to disciple them um, because that's what the church has been called to do. And so we say, um, we can do that. We can resource them. We can teach them. And one thing we've learned is that some of these parents don't understand their students' culture. And, and, and they don't know. Like, we've done one on technology before and told them, and we've thrown up on the screen, like, acronyms. We're like, have you ever heard your student say this? Do you know what it means? They're like, I have no idea. You know, and so, like, teach them the lingo. Um, do you know that, like, the, the little app on the phone that looks like a calculator, that's actually, like, a, a, an app that where you can hide secret pictures, and the, the parents think that it's just a calculator? You know, like, so inform them about these things. We did a, the one on parenting in a pornographic culture and teaching them, like, um, so that they're not ignorant about the fact that students are learning or seeing pornography at, at, as early as seven years old. Right. Um, and so that like one mom called me that night and said, um, thank you so much for doing this. She was in tears, but she's like, this is this is a crisis mode. We've been focusing on our our 14, 15 year old boys and we were totally overlooking our 11 year old daughter. And because you told us to go look at all their devices, she said, we found pornography all over her iPad. And she's been addicted to pornography for two years. And so we got to walk with that family through that, right? But if we would have never done anything like that before, we would have never been able to, to come alongside of them and to help them walk through that situation, right? And, and, and praying the Bible for your teenagers, like, and, and it starts with them. Like, we can't, we can't expect these parents, we can't expect the students to do what we're not doing, as parents, if we're not loving the Lord in worship, if we're not growing in our own personal walk, if our, if our um, kids don't see us in the word or see us praying with our spouses or praying with them, then why would we expect them to do that, right? And, and so, like, we're teaching them, like, a lot of people don't know how to, how to pray through the Bible, how to pray the Psalms, right, and how to use those that God has given us. And so, it's like you're teaching them, but you're also equipping them at the, at the same time. We've been bringing in people as well. Uh, one of my buddies growing up, he wrote a book called Alongside, uh, Loving Teenagers, 
with the gospel. Highly encourage it. One of the, one of the best books I've ever read on student ministry. Um, and it's really new, and he's extremely practical. He'll have you laughing. He'll have you crying. Um, but there are, there are practical things for parents in the book and then for youth leaders um, or people who just work in youth ministry. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just very simple, very down, down to earth. Uh, so highly recommend that. And then um, Russell Moore and some guys in the ERLC put together Christ-Centered Parenting, which is a uh, dealing with complex cultural issues. And that book is incredible. Whether you're in kids' ministry or student ministry, it, really any, any season of life ministry, highly encourage um, you to, to pick that up. Um, great resource. Um, very, very practical. Uh, uh, hey, this is how you have a conversation with a kid at this age. This is what you can ask them. This is what you can expect. Um, and so those are just a few different things. I think that's that's it. Great, and uh, hopefully you guys are writing down a lot of these resources they've they've mentioned. Alongside, alongside, it's a neon green book. You look it up on Amazon, you can't miss it. Drew Hill was the author of Alongside, and Christ-centered parenting. Um, I think Russell Moore and Philip Brandt wrote that. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. It's a curriculum. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a videos, I think, to it as well. It's not just a book, but there are videos with that as well. So uh, continuing on that question, so that question was centered around how can I help parents see the responsibility to disciple the kids. This is kind of part two of that question. This one's for Jason is how can I help the church see its responsibility uh, to, towards the students and towards the family of students, and, and how do we get the church to buy into that vision culturally? How do we build that sort of culture within our church? Yeah, that's a great point because when you're in a church, what you're trying to change the culture, it's different than when you come in and they have that expectation. If you are in a church and you have a certain job description, you start saying some of the things that we've been talking about, then it would be very easy for some of the people in that church to say, isn't that what we pay you for, right? Uh, but that's, that's more than just a job description. It's more than just pragmatism. Uh, I want to tackle this on a, on a couple of different areas, but I'll deal with the first couple very quickly uh, for time's sake. It starts with the senior pastor. I uh, need to go through it and have conversations with him. A great resource, Richard Ross's The Senior Pastor and the Reformation of Student Ministry. Uh, is a great book that if you were to say, Pastor, I, I respect your leadership, and you swing a big bat in this congregation. Now, I know I'm never going to be able to out-champion anything than you, and I wouldn't want to try. So I really want us to have a shared vision here. Would you consider going through this book with me over the course of a several months and just discussing it together? That will unite your hearts and ministry for that. As a staff, uh, Family Ministry Field Guide by Timothy Paul Jones uh, deals with the issue of breaking down silos children's ministry silo, youth ministry silo, college ministry silo, to where everyone kind of peeks out of their silo once a week to say, do we have any conflicts on the calendar? Great. All right, let's go back to our silo. Rather than seeing church ministry holistically to the next generation, that's a great resource. Uh, but just, to, I'm sorry, this family ministry field guide by Timothy Paul Jones. If you want to change the culture, just a couple of quick thoughts. I, I mentioned this to someone earlier, and we take a deep and wide approach. Deep meaning that you know a small rudder can steer a large ship, right? So if you invest in one, two, three families that are getting it and really invest in them, I mean, 
give them resources, make them your guinea pigs for things, then let them be your spokespeople to the rest of the church. Let them be the ones that stand and give testimony about how this resource or this activity or this process, faith process that they did with their kids changed their family dynamics. The antennas are going to go up all over your congregation when that happens in a way that would never happen if you and I were up there pounding on the podium like Dwight Schrute trying to get people to listen, right? All right, second thing, I had to throw a one-office reference in there. Second thing is wide. And this is, I'm going to give you two very practical ideas. The wide is that you begin what I would call a discovery team process. Try to find a way during church meeting times, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whatever, get with your senior pastor or church leadership, say, I need four to six weeks, depending on how, how you want to approach this. But a discovery team is that you get together youth workers, children's workers, parents of youth, parents of children in the same room, and you answer one question. How would we do youth and children's ministry at this church if all we had was the Bible? You go through a process. If I will leave my email uh, here up at the front. And I'd be glad to email you the packet that we used for this. But going through scripture in small groups, leading them to conversation with one another, and that you mentioned the word ownership earlier. That is the number one way to get them to buy into a new vision of ministry is if they're part of creating it. And they're not creating it. They're just getting into God's word and discovering it. You'll have to hold some of them back once they get a hold of God's word in their area. So that's the deep and wide approach. Um, the last thing I would say, here's, here's the, the softball, right? I've thrown so many grenades at you uh, this week. <laughs> so here's one softball I'll leave you with. Begin with prayer. Tomorrow morning at my church, we're going to have the ninth annual Pray For Me Sunday where adults in the church commit to praying for a specific teenager. They're in families, groups of adults, paired with groups of students, same gender, all that stuff. But they pray for them throughout the whole school year. After that, they can re-up with that same student or they can kind of re-enter and pray for a different student if they want, if they hadn't really connected or whatever. But that is the biggest softball I could give you because what happens when you start praying for someone consistently? Your heart goes out for them, right? And if you, you start with like mentoring, well, who wants to mentor that skater kid that's coming in that's kind of smells like pot and everything on Wednesday nights and everything? Anybody want to come up and mentor him? Your church just kind of you know studies their shoelaces. But if you say, who could pray for him? Hands up all over the place. The more you pray, the more your heart goes out for them. I've seen relationships changed. I've seen long-term relationships. One of our original students that was prayed for that was lost when he started off was just a pallbearer at the funeral of the spouse of the person that began praying for them eight years ago. That happened about six months ago. God works in those relationships. Begin with prayer and see what God does from there. My email will be up here, though. I'll, I'll make sure we have it here at Snowbird. If, if I can be of any encouragement to you through any of those resources, email me, our church website, embc.us. There are dozens of resources on there for parents. Not a single one of them have our church name on it. And the reason for that is because I want every church to be able to pick that up and use it uh, with their own logo and their own stuff on it, embc.us. And if I can be of any help beyond that, let me know. Fantastic. Hey, uh, Bridget uh, just texted me. She's on a marketing team and she said, what we're going to do with all these resources is uh, when you go on our site and go to our podcast, we're just going to have links to every one of these resources. So uh, 
emails, uh, these websites these guys are referencing, even links to the Amazon, links to these books. So all those re resources would be on there. And you can also go back and listen to the audio so you can, you can catch which one was with which. Uh, so that, that'd be a cool resource. Hey, we got time for two more questions. Um, yes, please. Oh, one, one thing that we started doing at our church, and again, every church, you got to get a feel for it, but with the family, which has been phenomenal. It's, it's my most exciting thing I've done in 30 years of youth ministry. Um, we have confirmation, which ultimately it's simply we go through the essentials of the Bible. Uh, but parents want to get their kids to that. Well, we leveraged that and said, okay, parents need to go through it with their kids. And they came kicking and screaming, right? But I aligned with the pastor first and said, hey, can this work? And are you supportive? And he was. So you got to have backing as a church. Um, but then you say, okay, we're going to do this. And we did it again on a Sunday morning during Sunday school time when they're going to be there anyway. And so we have the parents, it's like 11 week process, however, but we have the parents sitting around round tables with coffee and some candy at the table. We got the students sitting in the front on chairs together with some senior high in there to help facilitate discussion because these are usually sixth graders, seventh graders around that age. <clears throat> the parents, they, they come, they're at tables, they're, and so we'll, I'll teach essentials, going through the essentials, um, connecting dots that they've never known, and then give discussion questions, and then the parents start, they have to answer questions. Uh, and then the students do in their little groups, and then we keep going. But the, now the parents are getting to know other parents who have kids around the same age, and they're like, this is phenomenal. And they're creating networking and connecting, but they're also growing in their faith. They're not getting put on the spot because they're only with the parents. We don't put them with the kids to answer so they don't feel defensive. And now they get to grow. They get to be taught the same thing their kids are getting taught, and then they get to discuss these things. And we even implement, hey, you got to write your testimony toward the end. you got to write your testimony parents and students, email them. We, we want them. And then also we want you to share them with each other. So creating this whole, and I've literally had parents come kicking and screaming, but by the third session, they're coming up saying, we never knew this stuff. Like we didn't know what the real gospel was. We didn't know God being Trinity. I mean, we didn't know these foundational truths and why it all, and, and it builds the family so now they can have a, a, a foundation now to have spiritual conversations the rest of their time their kids are in high school. That's wonderful. That's great. All right, two more questions. This one's for Ricky. Uh, obviously, social media plays a huge role uh, in students' lives. And so um, the question is, what role and how much of a role should social media have in the student ministry? It just depends. So uh, I don't say that jokingly. I mean, there are going to be varying philosophies in related to social media throughout the room. So it kind of just depends on your personal philosophy, on your church's philosophy, and on your ministry context. So um, to help you filter through that, I'll, I would give you some processes I would recommend you consider. First is you have to determine your rules of engagement. I think you've got to determine this for yourself personally, and you have to determine this for your ministry. Uh, there's three that I see, three possible answers you can give here. Uh, one, I'm going to retreat from it. And that is, uh, this applies to culture in general, but in social, I could retreat from it. It's of the devil. I'm not going to use it at all because it's all bad. That's an option that I could consider. Uh, I'm going to immerse myself in it. Just go all in, use it, abuse it. No filters, no rules, no restrictions. Or the more logical response, I think, may be to consider 
how do I engage with it? Like what, what boundaries do I put in place? How can I use it? What should I use? What should I not use? But you have to determine for you and secondarily for your church, what are your rules for engagement? Retreat, immerse, or engage. Now let's just make an assumption, just for the sake of conversation, that you've chosen to engage, and now we've got to figure out, okay, what do we do with it and what role does it play? The first thing I would say then is you have to establish some boundaries. Some of those boundaries must be established for you personally. I'll tell you, here's one boundary that I established for me personally. I'm not saying you have to do this. I never accepted a friend request from a kid. I just didn't do it. I would accept a friend request from their parent, but I never accepted a friend request from a kid. When they graduated, I would consider doing it. That was just a, that was a boundary for me, okay? Um, you've got to determine what those boundaries are for you. Even more so, you as your church, this is where senior pastors got to come in, what are going to be the boundaries for us as a ministry? This would factor into your child protection policy. This would uh, factor into your social media guidelines for your, your paid staff and for your volunteers. What are the boundaries that we're going to put in place to help you both personally and professionally? Um, and if you want to talk offline about what may recommendations on those can be, I'm more than happy to help you think through those things uh, or even share some, some resources with you. Um, but in the sake of time, I think we could um, move on that. Secondly, though, in, in this element of engagement, I'm, I'm going to establish some boundaries. Regardless of what your level of personal engagement would be, uh, research culture. Uh, if you send an IMB missionary to name the foreign field, uh, they are taught to learn that culture before they really engage deeply. So your kids are using it, so you need to be aware, uh, even to the recommendations in terms of helping parents be aware. Be a cultural missionary, research the culture, be aware, and uh, they're, use, they're not just using Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. You know, do you know what after school is? Do you know what TikTok is? Do you all now the line? Just be aware of what those uh, things are. And then be intentional. Um, be intentional on how you use it. If you're going to choose to use it, obviously, um, based upon what are those boundaries that are there, do it well. Like if you're going to use it to promote your ministry, if you're going to use it as a marketing tool or a communication tool, do it right. Uh, we, in, uh, in honoring God, we need to do all things with excellence. So if you're going to do it, do, do it well and less is more. I would say this, one thing we know, social media is a marketing tool. Agree? Okay. God did not call you to be a marketer. He called you to make disciples. So when you filter through what your boundaries are, and you're going to choose to use that, uh, do it wisely and with limitations. That's good. Our last question, uh, Jason was talking about silos and how the uh, youth ministry can operate in a separate silo than the rest of the church. So our last question is for Steve, kind of going along those lines. How can a youth minister balance youth ministry in the church with the rest of the church? How do we not operate in a silo? And how do we, how do we balance that with the overall church? And how do we align that with the vision of the pastor and what the vision is for the overall church? Well, I, um, I love how Jason said, if, if when a student's asked what church you go to and they say the youth group over the church, um, but, but early on in the ministry, 
that wasn't a big priority for me. It's like, well, the church is not, it, it, like the youth ministries, I, I know with, with me being in the church 22 years in one church, we started going deeper, and, and it's like, well, the church isn't going deep, but we are because we're coming to Snowbird, and we're having, you know, we have all these uh, rules for our leaders, and we give them profiles to fill out, and we interview, I mean, you know, and the church isn't even doing that. So it's like, well, okay, that's fine. Let the church do its thing, and we'll do our, our thing. And then over the course of all these years, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our students were starting to just rise up uh, as far as understanding things of Scripture and the gospel. And now it, it turned into this uh, adults feeling intimidated by the students. We literally had adults pulling back from being as involved in, in VBS because our students were getting there. And, and it, there was a literally pulling back of the adults because they began begin getting intimidated over the fact that these students knew more spiritually. However, students, they may know more spiritually, and then they kind of and then we have to teach them, no, 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 you may know more spiritually in one sense, but you still don't have the wisdom, and you need to respect others. So just seeing that dichotomy happen, I started realizing, no, 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 we, we need to move as a church, and we, I need to back up and start saying, how can we unify and not start thinking, okay, what's the vision of the youth ministry? What's the vision of our church? And I literally took, and we worked on the vision of our church, and then I took that vision and overlaid it on the youth, and it became our, our vision and purpose statement. The churches became our, and so starting to align, and so even moving to the place of celebrating what things are going on in your church with the students, and then uh, I, I got this advice early on in youth ministry. Youth, another youth ministry that I was taking over, his, he said, one thing I want to tell you, any leadership meeting you're in in the church, anything you go on staff meetings, he says, you always be ready with a word of encouragement, sharing something inspiring that's happening in the youth ministry with the students, students coming to faith or this happening. You share that, and I do that to this day. Leadership Council, I'll say, hey, I want to share about the story about this student coming to Christ and how it happened. Because when you share it with the leadership, now they just got involved and now they're, they're rooting for the youth ministry and they get so encouraged and then they know what's going on. It's, it, that's a great thing. Always be ready to share something, you know, not taking over time, but, but give, give those things out there and be ready to share. Uh, the other thing is, you know, John 17, Jesus says, hey, may, may they be one just as you and I are one, Father, and, and so that the world can know that there's unity. If there's division in the church and there's division in our staff, like, you know what I'm saying? If we're just saying, well, I'm going to go do my thing and let them do their thing, that doesn't reveal unity to the students. And then we were talking about how students are leaving the church. They're, they're going to college, and they're like, well, I'm not a part of the church because I was a part of the youth ministry, but I'm not a part of the church. Well, then what do they have after that? Because there's not grown-up youth ministries, right? It's like they just have nothing. The church, and, and the more we align with that, we set them up for success. And But that's a place. And then longevity, I could go into a whole thing with that. The only way you can stay long, longevity is 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 to encourage what's going on as a church. Yeah, this is happening in the youth, but man, did you see what happened in children's ministry? And then this and how this overlaid and, and interconnected and talking with the other staff. How can our students help in this? And how can, how can we join in this? Um, but to and be in a place of submission, and, and, and this is the other the, the thing, put the health of the church right? The health of the bride of Christ. Put the health of the church in front of everything and literally have a visual where you say, you know what? It's about the health of this church. 
what's most healthy for this church, not what will bring me more glory or what will bring the youth ministry. It's what's healthy for this church. And if we need to back up as a youth ministry and put the halt on and wait and let and, and, and get to where the point where the adults are growing, then we need to do that. And how can we invest in the church? And there, there's so much fruit that comes from that. And yes, it may be it's tough. It's a tough thing to balance. And there's also a lot of submission. And it comes back to, again, identity, orphan spirit versus uh, child of God. You, you, because we're like, I'm not going to get celebrated as much. Or it's not my way. It's not about us. What's healthy for the church? I've even asked, I've even had times, you know what, Lord, if it's more healthy for the church that I move, that I don't stay at this church anymore, 22 years, like I love comfort. But if, if I need to leave for the health of this church and the ministry, take show me. I'm ready. I'm ready to go because it's not about me. And when that's carried on, you're not, you're not guarding your piece of the pie. It's like us and always celebrating the other ministries and how can we be involved and encouraged. And it, the student, the, the, God honors that and he blesses it. He breaks it, multiplies it, blesses it, and he will honor us in that area as a church. Great. Add one thing yes. to that. I think that's that's huge. I think we do a disservice to our students when we try to get them to love student ministry and not love the church, um, because the reality is they are going to graduate and they are going to go off, whether it's in military or to the workforce or to college, and they are. But you can't ever graduate from Jesus. You can't ever graduate from the local church. So if we get them to fall in love with Jesus and the church, then we're winning. Right? And, and so do your best to try to figure out how do we not segregate students in the life of the church, but how can we integrate them and, and this whole idea of multi-generational ministry um, in, in lines in the church. So Great. Thank you guys for sending in questions. Uh, and again, let this be conversation starters, not conversation enders. And for you guys on the panel, thank you so much uh, for answering all our questions. So really appreciate it. Great. We were, uh, we were close to on say, time. One, I want to say one last thing, because I always do. Um, no, no, no. No, no, you guys, this follows us every day. Even being asked to be on a panel, the first thing that comes up is, oh, crap, am I good enough? It's a performance spirit, literally. I mean, I deal with it. After 30 years of ministry, it's always on the front, you know. Oh, I want them to be proud of me. I want to, you know, how, do, how can I hang with the big dogs, right? It's like, no, that's, that's an attitude of fear. It is performance-based, and it halts us in ministry, and we're not free. Just be free, and it's okay. You know what? I don't know. It, it's okay. Get real, because we're all wearing masks. Take it off and just get real and, and honor Christ, because you don't care what he, like, you know what he thinks of you. So when we get anxious and nervous and all that kind of stuff, we're concerned about what others think rather than the Lord. And if we can get that in alignment, man, you talk about freedom, and God, that honors him. Great. Let's, uh, let's take 25 minutes. Our last session is going to start in here at 5 o'clock. We'll worship the Lord, and Ricky is going to, uh, to bring the word.